There's a rumour about beauty, its long whiskers and golden eyes, its stripes as dark as the moon shadows of trees. There's a rumour that the forest took the beauty, that the people that took the forest took the beauty. The beauty's stripes tightened, sliced right through. The people said they had nothing to do with it. The whiskers caught fire and the golden eyes burned right through. Beauty of flora, fauna, and most of all place is part of everything Joanna Lilly writes. The author of a short story collection and two books of poetry, Lilly grew up in the UK and lives in Whitehorse, Yukon. Her first novel, Worry Stones, published in late 2018, is set in Canada, Britain, and the Scottish Highlands. The places she has lived are as relevant to her writing as the people who raised her and the times in which they lived. So they were children in the Second World War. My father's father had fought in the First World War. He'd gone to war, signed up underage because it was easier then, because we didn't have electronic ID and so on. So he lied about his age, um, ended up in the Battle of the Somme, and lost his arm. Mm. So he had only had one arm. He didn't have a prosthetic arm. Um, came back from the war, still very young. Mm. And um, so he lived with us for many years as well. So I was very conscious of, of the impact the First World War had had on him. He didn't talk very much. He didn't talk about the war. He wasn't a particularly friendly person. Mm. Um, I was conscious that the, the war had had that impact on him. Mm. Um, and then my father and mother, yeah, growing up, um, having children live with them who had been evacuated from London. So that shifted so many children out of out of their family lives. I know that my husband's father was evacuated um, out of his home and ended up in a home where he wasn't given enough to eat. He was actually starving. The, the people looking after him were not looking after him. So, And he was uh, away from his family. So all of that is, is part of, yeah, people of my generation. You know, we grew up with those stories and were very conscious that relationships between countries could break down and wars could could happen and people could die and all of those impacts mm -hmm. were very real and possible. Welcome to Active Voice, 49 Writers podcast with writers on how current events and issues are shaping their work and perspective. I'm your host, Katie Bosler. In addition to her post-war upbringing, the writing of Joanna Lilly is also shaped by making a home in the Yukon. So we emigrated, yeah, in 2006, um, had been living in Scotland in the UK before that. So that was a big decision to do all the paperwork and mm -hmm. apply to move to a different country, absolutely. And you started to have your, your work published. I did have a few things published when I was still living in Scotland in anthologies and magazines, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Poetry and short stories, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And then, but no books until um, I came to Canada. So uh, my first book came out in 2014. So not that long ago, yeah. So I was writing for many years and dealing with rejection for many years and because I've been, yeah, writing all my adult life, yeah. So mostly fiction and poetry? Yes, yeah. So I started off always wanting to write a novel, would write the odd poem, and then um, after I moved to Canada, I was feeling very 
overwhelmed and despairing about trying to get a novel published. So I decided to actively focus on poetry for a while, which just brought me so much joy and it took me to a different place. And that's how my first poetry book really evolved. Yeah. And this, tell me about your first poetry book. My it. first poetry book, it's called The Fleece Era and published by Brick Books in Canada. So I'm very grateful to them. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot about um, the experience of living in the north and um, also just, I suppose, commentary on on society as well. I mean, I often start with something that's personal, but the poem will always evolve into something that's separate from me in some way. It becomes its own story or its own character. So there's there's some poems about, you know, whether having children or not having children, mm-hmm. poems about the environment, poems about emigrating and family not quite understanding, you know, the people you leave behind don't quite understand mm-hmm. why that decision was made. And then the next one is more um, inspired by your traveling around. Yeah, so my next poetry collection came out last year, If There Were Roads, and that that was a very conscious decision to write about my relationship with place and having moved around a lot as a child and deciding to move to Canada, which I love, but still feeling, feeling very connected so some of the landscapes I left behind, particularly Dartmoor in the southwest of England and Wales in the mountains and Scotland. And just trying to work out that paradox, really, of being where I wanted to be and, and yet not being able to let go of those places. And then this privilege that I had had of being able to choose to emigrate. Mm-hmm. What's the commonality of the places that you're drawn to? Well, yeah, so I think there's a certain ruggedness and... It would be a little bit perhaps like the Alpine, like when you get above the tree level here and in Whitehorse where I live now. So that kind of rocky, stony summit plateau. But also, though, what mm-hmm. <laughs> I also miss, though, is the layers of centuries of, of human manipulation of the landscape. So I get quite nostalgic about dry stone walls, which you find all over all over the U.K., and even if you're from the Roman Empire, yeah, well, or, yeah, just or, centuries or of farming, <laughs> and yeah, yeah the, and it's all from very the Celts, or <laughs> the, yes, yeah, it's all very much humans controlling the land and sh- shaping the land in in major ways. So uh, having um, flocks of sheep which have grazed the mountains in Scotland that would otherwise look like here, full of forest but they're bare because of the centuries of sheep grazing that were kept in by these dry stone walls, which are just walls built basically without cement, you know. Um, and yet I, I feel such love for these walls. They're just so beautiful to me, and I miss them. And yet it's very complicated because really they're symbols of something that's the opposite of wildness. And yet because they're still in these wild places, I associate them with that wildness. Yeah. Does it ever feel too wild? Around here, or um, in, in, in I think Whitehorse, it, in in the sense that I'm not, I'm sort of fearful of going on a hike um, without a good map and GPS skills. You know, so I have mm-hmm. that awareness because in Britain, the maps are very detailed and very accurate, and there are often signposts. 
saying, you know, the trail starts here <laughs> and the trails are very clear because they're mm -hmm. so well worn. Even though you can go for a walk all day and not see anybody, the trail itself, many mm -hmm. people have walked it. So, so there is a sense that I, I don't explore as much as perhaps I'd like to because of that. I tend to stick to a trail I know or a route I know. Yeah. And of course, the, the wild animals here, which is one of the reasons I'm here. It's incredible to be able to see bears and moose and anything. I mean, in Britain, all of those animals have been wiped out completely. And the largest creature is a fox or a badger, which is still lovely to see. So it's incredible to me and my husband, who's a biologist, to live in Canada where animals are roaming around. But of course, that's also a factor when you're out walking. Mm -hmm. You know, have you got your bear spray? Mm -hmm. Are you are you prepared, you know, <laughs> right, right. to use it? Yeah. And it adds a whole other experience. Yes. So your 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 next upcoming book, which is uh, not due for release until twenty twenty, mm -hmm. is is a, a poetry book about an extinction. It is. Yes. Yeah. So that was a yeah a, just an idea that occurred to me. I've I've always loved writing about animals, and I did a workshop many years ago where the, the mentor pointed out to me that everything I'd shown him had an animal in it in some way, which I hadn't really realized, um, you know, if it was just one reference. Um, so a few years ago, I just had this idea, and I think it was that sense of, you know, what can I do to about this, this world that we're living in? And of course, poetry, well, maybe poetry can change the world, but it was more about a personal response of trying to express how I felt. So I decided to write poems about particular species of animals that are no longer with us. Um, so maybe like almost like an obituary or an homage. Yeah, yeah. It felt like it was some kind of elegy or, yeah, mm -hmm. some kind of grieving for these species. And some Putting of Putting the, them on paper. That yeah, yeah. And just finding a way. I, was, I wanted to connect with them. like by. So instead of just writing whatever I was feeling, which is perhaps more than more what I've done in the past, I would have to do some research and I went to museums. I got funding, which was amazing, to go to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington and the Natural History Museum in New York and some museums in Canada. So I could go and visit the fossils and the bones and like Martha, the last passenger pigeon who's on display at the Smithsonian, who's being stuffed, you know, with her feathers and have that connection and in the hope that it would lead to me being able to write some kind of a poem as a, yeah, as a homage or elegy for that species. And did you find that a good framework? It, it sounds like a, a, a good project as far mm. as shaping your, your project and saying it's going to be about this. And yeah, then, it was a very, it was, yeah. it was, and that was a, a new experience for me. And um, I, I, <laughs> I would set myself rules though, and then break them. And, and I just, <laughs> I just, I can't really write unless I feel something, you know, I have to sort of find the story or find the emotional or spiritual connection, whatever you mm -hmm. call it. And so I, I wouldn't really, I would, I have poems about species that have gone recently, definitely because of humans. And I also have poems about species that really are just extinct because that's evolution. And it, we're talking millions of years ago and we can't blame humans for that. So, mm. and I was, I was, Often, yeah, I would have a plan, but then I would just write about the animal that I felt connected to, you know, at that <laughs> time, or I had a note about in my notebook or something like that. So I bounced around, and then I st would start find myself writing poems that were more general about 
you know, the Northwest Passage opening up or something like that. So it was so, what moved you as yeah, opposed to, well, it, I yeah. have to write about this now. That didn't yeah, really cut it. Yeah, it, I have okay, to. And it. I'm not, yeah. as I say, I'm yeah. not an intellectual person or an academic person. I have to be moved in some way to find the, the kernel of the poem. Yeah. And yeah. as far as being moved spiritually or emotionally, yeah, can, you, can you conjure that or, or just you have to be patient that it's just going to happen? Yeah, I think I, I did. I would read up on the species and yeah sometimes it took longer than other times and it I think thinking about it it was to do with finding a story of some kind that I could mm-hmm. latch into some really interesting detail about the animal or but I did end up with a lot of poems about me standing in front of a skeleton at a museum, which is very interesting for me, but when you when you look at when <laughs> someone else to read all these poems, okay, I have to kind of move then, beyond that because that, that reader hat on, <laughs> yes, exactly. Go, okay, maybe not, yeah, three, yeah, <laughs> or exactly. five, yeah. this one. Okay, yeah. there's only so many ways you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. now, and tell me a little bit about your your novel that um, is just out. Right, yeah. So my first novel came out just a few weeks ago, thanks to Ronsdale Press down in Vancouver. Um, I started writing it about 17 years ago, so it's been a long, long journey. Um, I always dreamed of writing a novel, so it feels like an absolute miracle that I have one. Um, It's about, I was thinking about this, does it have any animals in it? And they're they're very low profile in this novel, which is quite interesting. Um, So it's about a a young woman who's 24 called Jenny, and she's studying... Her, for her PhD, she's on Baffin Island in Iqaluit, which is eastern Arctic Canada, studying artists, studying, studying the indigenous artists there, the Inuit. And um, she gets an email from her sister telling her that their mother has had a stroke and is in hospital back in Scotland, um, where, where Jenny was living. And Jenny has to decide whether to drop what she's doing. She's also fallen in love with her geologist and rush back to her mother's bedside which of course is the natural thing to do but Jenny and her sisters haven't had anything to do with their parents for eight years because their parents had sold up the family home and joined a religious commune so it's all about Jenny trying to or not trying to bring the family back together again. And how does your and so what is the title of the book? That's called Worry Stones. Worry Stones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and how does your poetry inform your fiction? Mm. Well, I think I care I think I care a lot about language. So I I want to I want to write a good story, but I want there to be something in the language which is poetic as well and and use use poetic images to convey the story. Um, I have a few a few poems that are very related to the novel. Um, actually, and the one or two are in If There Were Roads, my recent poetry collection. So where I've got the experience of being in the Arctic, for example, and the narrator in that poem is actually Jenny, you know, and and a poem evolved in one direction and then the novel evolved in a different direction. So mm-hmm. I do I do see them as very connected. And I think because I always started off trying to write fiction, a lot of my poems... I see them as little stories. I like to have a little bit of a narrative. It's all storytelling in the For end. me, it is. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I feel like some of the best uh, 
fiction or nonfiction reads like the sentences read like poetry. Mm, yeah. Would you like to read a poem and maybe even a passage from the book? This one, it's about the Javan tiger, and it's called Beauty. There's a rumor about beauty, its long whiskers and golden eyes, its stripes as dark as the moon shadows of trees. There's a rumor that the forest took the beauty, that the people that took the forest took the beauty. The beauty's stripes tightened, sliced right through. The people said they had nothing to do with it. The whiskers caught fire and the golden eyes burned right through. That's interesting that it's about beauty. Mm-hmm. You use that, that word. Because um, when in our, my, our last interview with Andromeda Romano Lax, you know, she talked about how she wanted to write about beauty after 9-11. Or in mm. our interview with Hank Lentfer from Gustavus, how he feels like there's still so much beauty in the world. And, and that's what he's trying to focus mm-hmm. on. Yeah, so there's, yeah, I, I know that, I remember when I was quite young painting a picture, a very bad picture of a tiger swimming, and I was so struck by the beauty of, of that creature. And I think that's, this poem is, connects me back to that experience as a mm-hmm. child of, mm-hmm. of recognizing the beauty of these animals that we're losing, that have gone and we'll never see again. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think beauty's it's complicated because I don't I don't want to support or advocate necessarily traditional forms of beauty. Um, there's different um, ways to define there's it. There's different ways to define it and I think there's there's beauty in a slug or a snail or an insect. And I don't want to only focus on the charismatic animals as we call them, the polar bears and the tigers and the pandas. Do you have another uh, passage or poem you'd like to read? Sure. So this one, this poem is called Savannah. It's about the bubal heart beast. I hold up my hands, wrists together, palms open, angled, fingers lifted to make the shape of horns, a flower, now swiftly a chalice. You pour into the space I hold. I carry the air of you, the nothing you have become. My fingertips tickle with the scented recollection of high savanna grass. Mm. Now, have did you travel to Africa? I did not. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I'm sure I should have done. Mm-hmm. No, I relied on the internet and books and photographs and videos. Yeah, I would love to. I've been to Morocco. Um, I have dreams of going on a safari, and then I have guilt about <laughs> flying and traveling and mm, wanting to find footprint. One, yeah, wanting to find a company that's definitely helping to preserve the animals and has nothing to do with big game hunting. And I know those companies exist, um, mm-hmm. so I just need to do a little bit of research. Yeah, There's, everything's mm-hmm. an ethical decision, and it always has been. Um, but that can be very paralyzing as well. Now, you've been in in, uh, Yukon Whitehorse for a dozen years. Do you feel like you want to stay there? I think so, yeah. (laughs) This might be because I moved around a lot as a child, but it feels very strange to me thinking I'll live somewhere for the rest of my life. I struggle with that. I find it uncomfortable. 
So I have never lived in the same house as I as long as I have now. The house I'm in, I've been in about 11 years. I've never been in a house that long. I've never had the same job as long as I have had my current job. So it does feel a little odd and it does make me feel restless. From the UK to Canada, I was it, I think it was liberating in a sense of getting away from that class system. However, I do know it is in Canada. And it's perhaps partly that I'm living in a small rural community that I'm even more detached from it than I would be if I was living, let's say, in the mm -hmm. east of Canada, in Toronto. Um, so, And it's also the longer I'm in Canada, the more I pick up on the class system that kind of manifests in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also very conscious of what's going on in Britain with the Brexit referendum. Um, to, to me, that was not <laughs> a good decision and it's it's very worrying and distressing to see what's happening there the uk pulling away um from europe although having grown up with parents who did grow up during the second world war i i know where i understand where some of those emotions are coming from the fear of losing control of of your country which i think has parallels with what's happening in the us and wanting to to keep that control. But I don't think that's how the world works anymore, if it ever did. I think we need to all collaborate with each other and work together and think of ourselves as living on a planet rather than a particular country. I really struggle with the idea of, of borders and nationalism. It's uh, deeply frightening. And again, growing up, um, I would, even now when I see a, Union Jack, which is the British flag. I, I flinch a little bit because when I was growing up, sort of 70s, 80s, if you saw a Union Jack, it meant that somebody was pro-British to the extent they were racist. And we had the, the skinhead movement, the National Front movement. So it was very shocking to me going back to the UK. I go back fairly often. Uh, just... just uh, and that's happening all over Europe. It's happening all over Europe, yeah. Going back uh, during the referendum, um, just after the referendum, and seeing so many more British flags everywhere was, was quite shocking. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's partly my generation of growing up during that time when it symbolized mm -hmm. something extreme, but it seems to be coming back. And what do you see as your role as a, as a writer, or, or what do you adv advise other writers who are of the sa same mindset? Yeah, I think each of us are trying to work this out in our own way. I know there are some wonderful movements like the Dark Mountain Movement, which started off in the UK, which is a, a collection of artists of all types who are trying to... Dark Mountain? Dark Mountain, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's in many countries now, um, but it did start off in the UK. And it's artists trying to deal with that sense of how are we responding to the end of civilization, uncivilization? They talk about that. Um, and there's, there is a manifesto, but it's very much about people responding in their own separate way. I know that writers can be very, have a very big impact on society. I don't think a writer should necessarily feel that's their responsibility or burden because I think that can be very oppressive and can stymie what you're trying to do as an artist. So I think you have to you have to f decide for yourself how you're going to respond. 
Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, Dark Mountain Manifesto. Mm -hmm. We intend to challenge the stories which underpin our civilization, the myth of progress, the myth of human centrality, and the myth of our separation from nature. Because we do. We seem to have this idea as a species that we're always progressing. And evolution even is a is a good thing, always going in the right direction. And the development of technology is always a good thing. But actually, is it? Should we be thinking more about that and evolving in a different direction, more consciously? But it's, yeah, it's hard to know what to do. I know that me writing a few poems about extinct animals isn't going to save the world. Um, but I think we have to find find our own way of, of dealing with things and keeping... Find our own road. <laughs> find our own road, absolutely. And keeping a sense of community, like collaborating with the other artists and supporting each other and valuing art as well, even though it doesn't necessarily have a clear function or outcome. It's, it's so important that we retain that side of ourselves as, as, as beings in this world. Well, Joanna Lilly, thank you so much for joining us for Active Voice. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Active Voice, 49 Writers' audio series companion to our Active Voice Writers Respond blog, a forum for respectful discussion and debate on current events and issues. The ideas expressed on Active Voice are not necessarily shared by 49 Writers. Original music by Liz Snyder and Alex Cutlars. Hear, read, and learn more at 49writers.org.